And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Sexton speaks on the shepherd and his sheep. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. I am thrilled that we can be together. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, I'm going to ask you for some things today, and I want you to be prepared. Our nation is in such desperate shape. Desperate. You know, someone estimates that nearly 41 million Christians, professing Christians, not all of them born again, but someone estimates that 41 million Christians did not vote in the last presidential election. Can you imagine? I'm saying to you that if we don't elect Donald Trump as president of the United States, we have the rest of our lives to regret it. It's just that critical. If you're watching what's going on, you know, honestly, did you know the Democratic National Convention that's meeting right now has put in their platform that they will fund abortion for men. Now, when you hear that, you think, what kind of ridiculous statement is it's, it's in their platform that we will fund abortion for men. And then you finally figure out what they're doing. They're calling women men who've declared themselves to be transsexual. They're biologically women, but they call themselves men and they refuse not to be called men. So when they come, become expectant, they will do the abortions in the women who now call themselves men. And that's in the platform of the Democratic National Convention. That's just one crazy thing. They're going to release prisoners. Think of that. They're going to make all education in America, in higher education, free. They're going to forgive all student debt. In other words, there's no responsibility anymore. So I don't know what it's going to take to move us to action. What will it take for you to have the boldness to your people to say something like this? You know, because of my Christian convictions, because of my Christian convictions, my moral standards fit better with the Republican National Convention and with their platform. I'm against the things God's Word is against. Now, we're not electing a pastor, but we are voting our convictions and encourage your people to vote. I'm shocked. This church is politically active because I've talked about all this all these years, but I'm shocked at how many adults in our congregation are not even registered to vote. And of course, they have to register by a certain date to be eligible to vote in the general election. So there's a lot of things we must do. Now, this meeting I'm having with you today is really not about a political agenda, but I'm just so worked up about it, and I'm thinking, why we sit? It's like the lepers who said, why sit here until we die? Our people are just sitting until they do die. Now, I'm going to talk today about the shepherd and his sheep. If you're a shepherd, you have sheep. The shepherd and his sheep. Uh, We're going to pray together, and uh, let's acknowledge that we need the Lord. Not only, 
uh, do I need him to speak? We need him also, we need him to help us to process things and for God to open our understanding. And uh, we're praying that way. I'm praying the whole time I'm speaking. I'm praying the whole time I'm preaching. I pray the whole time I'm studying. And I'm praying while I'm studying. And I'm praying while I'm speaking and preaching. And uh, we're praying now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee, Lord, that we're not alone and not forsaken. We acknowledge by faith that the future is known to Thee. And I pray that we shall put our faith in Thee and find the rest that can be found only by trusting Thee with our whole heart. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I've got the questions here before me, and you may have some other questions, and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, I want to thank you again for being here. I learned long ago that repetition is the mother of learning. If you don't teach your people that, then they may think, well, you said that before. You know, three years ago and some, uh, I constantly repeat myself. I could start expressions in our church and I think the people could finish it. You know, um, the deacon is ordained and they will say, to help the pastor. I'd say a local church is a group of baptized believers voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. And they can say these things. We reap a harvest from where we place an emphasis. We must place emphasis where God places emphasis. So I just repeat myself over and over and over and the the people who have been here in our college, at Crown College, sometimes know these things and they, they take them as their own. And I'm glad for that. But I'm going to repeat something just for about five minutes from the book of Jude. And I want you to open your Bible there just for a second. And we're looking in the book of Jude. And I'm going to read a passage because... Everything we deal with, I've come to this conviction. The first time I heard the book of Jude taught was probably in 1970, uh, maybe 1969 or 70, by a, a, a wonderful Christian leader by the name of B. Gray Allison. Dr. Allison had just left the New Orleans Seminary and started his own seminary, and he called it Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. It was first in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then it moved to Memphis and associated itself with Adrian Rogers and the um, Bellevue Baptist Church. This was later it moved, and that's where Dr. Allison finished his, his work. But he was famous for giving Bible studies, and in particular, a Bible study on the book of Jude. I don't remember him saying this, but I do have the little book he put out on, on Jude, but I've come to believe from teaching and preaching through the book of Jude that we're all going to, only going to deal with three things in opposition to what we're trying to do. You as a pastor are going to only deal with three things. And you can categorize those three things. I want you to look at them, please. And the Bible says in verse 10 of Jude, but these, these. And then I want you to look, please, at verse 20. It says, but ye... So God describes all of these who, who oppose the work until we get to the 20th verse, and then he says, but ye. Now where we're going is to but ye. Here's, here's what they're doing. Now here's what you're to do. And so he says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. 
Woe unto them, and here it is, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So that's the first thing we need to understand from the Word of God what the way of Cain is. What the way of Cain is. There is a way that we know is the way of salvation, the way to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then opposed to all of that is the way of Cain. Now it may take many forms, have many identities, but it's the way of Cain. I want you to pray and meditate upon that. And ran greedily, here's the second thing, after the era of Balaam, notice, for reward. What reward did Balaam hope to get? Was it the praise of men, the approval of someone? What reward did he hope to get? So the second category of opposition we always deal with is in the era of Balaam. He supposed something. And we're seeing that everywhere. People are actually building churches. They say building churches in the era of Balaam. It's eventually, it's sensual. Eventually, it's for the approval of man and not the approval of God. It's in some way competing. But here's the third thing. And perished in the gang saying of Korah. That's the leader of the opposition against Moses and Moses' authority that God had given him. And you're finding people opposed to you in what you say. And they identify. So God goes on to tell us about those people. These are spots. And he goes on all the way through. But then you come down to verse 20. Look at it, please. I hope you take this to heart because this is what you're dealing with. And you're going to see it more and more as the opposition grows. And the opposition is growing. But ye, beloved, look what we must do. Building up yourselves in the most holy faith. That's the first thing we must do. Be strong in the faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost, that's the second thing. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Boy, that's a temptation because you want to you lash back and we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Uh, that's the thing God says. And then looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every time the word looking is given to us, it has reference, of course, not only to God's mercy in this case, but the coming of the Lord. Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. You can't make a difference in everyone's life. But you can make a difference in someone's life. So, here we are with a divine assignment. And God says, we have spiritual enemies. And the spiritual enemy, somebody may raise his head, ugly head up about some decision you made. Or somebody may say something or bring something sensual to you as a, a form of temptation. I don't know what it is. Or they say, well, I, I think other people should lead. A man said to me not long ago, I need to have a part in the leadership of this church. And I said, you do. As you serve, we serve together. He said, oh, no, I don't want to follow I don't want to follow everything you say. I want to let people know what, they, what I think too. And he just had the spirit of Korah. And I had to identify that. Now, God says he's going to deal with that person. So I want you to be aware that if you serve God, you face enemies. There's no question there. And uh, 
may God help us. We're always trying to speak the truth in love, but we face enemies. Now, I want you to come with me, please, to the Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And I'll give you the first statement, and I want you to copy it out of the Bible. Write it in your notes if you're making notes. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If I write the book I want to write on leadership, it'll come from this 23rd Psalm. And it's not about what you can do as a leader. It's about He leadeth me. He leadeth me. The title will be, He Leadeth Me. We're shepherds, but we're under shepherds, and the Lord is our shepherd. So, may God guide us and help us. Uh, I want to discuss some things with you. I have something I prepared. I've been working on it for a long, long time. I've gone through the Bible, and I've found every reference I can find about the responsibility of shepherds and have applied them to my responsibility as a pastor. The word pastor, of course, means shepherd. And I can be called by many titles. People sometimes call me when I'm uh, dealing with something in the business world. Some might even say, Reverend Sexton. Well, I want to give all the reverence to God. You may like Reverend Sexton, but and if you've been an ordained and you're an ordained minister of the gospel, you may like that title. That's okay. I'm not fussing about it. I'm just saying to you, I, I don't prefer that. Uh, some of our people call me Brother Clarence or Brother Sexton. There's some people, because I've earned a doctor of minister's degree, who call me Dr. Sexton, Dr. Sexton. It may be appropriate sometime. I'm going to a very famous place to speak in a few days, and they may introduce me there as Dr. Sexton. But my preference in everything is to be pastor. And you know, the mayor of our city calls me pastor. The governor of our state calls me pastor. The sheriff of our county calls me pastor. The congressman for our district, for the United States Congress, calls me pastor. And I'd rather, I'd rather be a pastor than anything else. And the pastor means shepherd. Our people call me pastor. And they say, pastor this and pastor that. The children call me pastor. And the inference in that, the inference in that is that if I'm a pastor, then they're the sheep. And may God help me to do what John chapter 10 says, to love the sheep and to give my life for the sheep. Uh, when I was early on preaching, starting in 1967, July of 1967, God called me to preach. My pastor said to me, some people want you to be an evangelist because if you've got enthusiasm, they want you to be an evangelist. And I was a Southern Baptist back then and we had 80, 82 churches in our little, in our little um, uh, group. Uh, they call those groups uh, by a certain name. But we had 82 churches in our group. And you know, uh, I spoke in 80 of those churches. Two of them were so liberal, they didn't want me, but I spoke in 80 of them. So I got a lot of preaching done as an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old. And then I started pastoring my first church in Greenback, Tennessee at the Greenback Memorial Baptist Church in a little farming community of 350 people 
in, when I was 19 years old. And so I would have become 20 uh, the, in October. I went there in August. But I started ni- at 19. And I remember uh, those days very, very well. Still love the people and v- visit them and, and I preached for them. But to be a pastor, there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. And I want to talk to you about it because I think pastors today are the keys. Uh, the shepherd is the key. We need, we need to see this. I want you to see the God-given dignity of your office. It's humbling. And the emphasis today is on leadership. And I want you to write this down. I want you to take your little hand and put a pen in it. And I want you to write this down. And I want you to be able to repeat it. So take your pen out and write it down. Here it is. You can be a leader without being a shepherd. You can, you can be a leader without being a shepherd. So there are many ideas about leadership that don't encompass anything about shepherding. So you can be a leader without being a shepherd. But you cannot be a shepherd without being a leader. I want you to understand what I mean by that. In other words, people are going to try to help you get from point A to point B. You're going to try to help your people get from point A to point B. You're going to try to lead your people in the field of leadership from whatever point A is, where you find them, to where you want them to go, or where you imagine they'd go. And so you're leading them. I see some of you, and you're not writing, and I want you to write or type or put it down. Would you please? And uh, I've been in the habit of doing this all of my life. I want you to write it down. You can be a leader without being a shepherd. But you cannot be a shepherd without being a leader. And there's a certain way the shepherd leads. He leads, frankly, in summary, he leads as he is led. You and I almost sometimes with flippancy say, well, the Bible's my book. And then we get it a little more classified and say the Bible is the sole authority for what I preach and teach. The Bible is the sole authority. We mean by that the only authority, S-O-L-E, the only authority for my faith and practice. Well, if that's true, then everything we do and say should come from the Word of God. It is what we find in God's Word that we're giving to other people. We're actually in the business, the work of guiding people to God. We're in the work of guiding people to God. And so, as we're guiding people to God, um, this is what God's forgiveness responsibility to do. Sometimes people will seek you out. One of the most well-known people in America sought me out recently. I'm not going to go into the story. And they wanted to know more about the Lord, more about revival. They saw something I had done on the internet. And um, uh, he and his wife sought me out. Now he's died. And what a wonderful man he was. And his memory lives on. But I, I'm going to have a part in his funeral in just a few days. But the fact of the matter is, he needed a shepherd. He needs someone to guide him to God. 
That's a humbling thing. May I say to you that many people who are prominent people, many people who are wealthy people, are very lonely people. And they have not had the attention given to their soul that they really need. So, what about being a shepherd? The shepherd and his sheep. You're a shepherd. And may God guide you. And as He guides you, guiding others. And remember, there are many people talking about leadership that are not shepherds. And there are many forms of leadership. I guess the best book I ever read on leadership was a book uh, by Henry Blackaby on spiritual leadership. Most everything that's been written since he wrote that in a relatively modern book, but most everything been written since then has been copying after that. But Blackaby had a hold on it, on, on leadership. If you haven't gotten that book, it's been around for many, many years, but he's still alive, but Blackaby is a Canadian and God used him in that, in that matter. So what I did, I went in the Word of God and I, I found the verses in the Bible that deal with shepherding. And I found a verse for every day of the month. 31 verses. And I've written a meditation journal, which I'm not prepared to send to you. It needs to get back from the printer, but I'm not prepared to send it to you. Uh, but I will give it to you when it's complete. I have it in one format now, and I'm putting it in a small book format. But I found a verse so that every day of the month, you can read and meditate upon that particular verse concerning shepherding. And so I'm going to give you a number of those today and just see where God will lead us. And uh, this has been such a help to me, and I want to make it a help to you. I want to make it a blessing to you. So we'll begin here in just a moment with the very first thing. Most people think the shepherd is the CEO or whatever the case may be. Something entirely different. We're dealing with the soul. Uh, Dr. Masters has referred to uh, the soul and physicians of the soul. He called it physicians of the soul. So, and our country has a soul, and our country needs shepherds. You ever stop and think about how many shepherds there are in America? I'm talking about pastors. How many pastors? Listen to me just a minute. Think of the influence of pastors. When I gave you the quote a moment ago, and I don't know if it's accurate or not. It might have been some wild, crazy preacher who just was going on with numbers and didn't research the thing. But I've heard at least, and I've heard it more than once, that 41 million professing Christians did not vote in the last general election. The last general election. 41 million Christians. I have personally contacted about 13,000. Is that the number of we pastors we've got email? About 13,000 pastors and encouraged them. Um, I'm talking to the brains of the outfit here, these girls who helped me with all this. Uh, 13,000 pastors to try to just do what... <coughs> God's given us to do. Now think about your flock. Think about your sheep and how you could teach them and move them forward and motivate them and they can motivate others. 
You know, it's hard to motivate people. I said to all of you the other day, I want you to take this video I made on Black Lives Matter. Have the courage to do it. I know you have the courage to do it, but I put that, that, that uh, video out, and all I did is read what they said. This is what Black Lives Matter wants to do. They want to disrupt the family that God declares should be the family structure. Uh, they want to promote uh, transsexual people, especially black women who are transsexual. That's why that is in the platform of the Democratic Party that they're going to, can you imagine things so ridiculous? They're going to provide funding for abortions for men. Now, isn't that the strangest thing? What man had a baby? What man has a baby? It's in their national platform. Because there are women who say they're men and they know they can get pregnant because biologically they're women and so they want to, they want to destroy the babies. And I'm thinking, is anybody speaking the truth in love? Is anybody correcting all this stuff? Did you know that they've been given, the organization has been given over a billion dollars? What's the figure now? Over a billion dollars? Well over a billion. Maybe a billion and a half or more. Maybe two billion by now. From some of the largest businesses and industries in America. In other words, we're paying people to destroy our country. Paying people. You know what the next phase is? The next phase is they're coming to people's homes and declaring that you have no right to have that home they wanted. And they're going to be armed to do it. I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just trying to say this is what they said they're going to do. And everything they've broken into a department store and stone, they say that's for reparations. That's because once our forefathers were slaves and that's to pay us back for the slavery. And that's what they're saying. Are you afraid to put the video up? Send it out. Let your people know we're in a war. Someone who ought to know just told me, just told me they ought to know they're training military people, I mean legitimate people in the military. They said we're bracing for a civil war in America. Now, and if they don't get what they want, they're going to take it. So, what place do you have? And what place do your people have? Your people are seeing all of this. They're watching it unfold. And they're frightened. Get you a good sermon on God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And uh, I preached one on that subject. You can find it, I think it's on, the, on, the, on YouTube. And you can look it up by that title, is that correct? And you can look it up. Preach that to your people. Power, love, and a sound mind. Let them know that we didn't get this spirit of fear. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, and the spirit of Antichrist is promoting. But anyway, uh, you're the shepherd. You've got to prepare your people. First verse and first statement, day one. The shepherd is an abomination to the world. <laughs> Write the verse down, please. Genesis chapter 46, verse 34. Genesis 46, verse 34. That ye shall say, The servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth, even until now. 
This is the children of Israel in their statement to the Egyptian leader. Both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. That's what God's Word says. Why did God put that in the Bible? That every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. The shepherd is an abomination to the world. Egyptians, of course, and Egypt always represents the world to us. And so we must understand that enmity, uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so you can't, you can't walk hand in hand with the world, the flesh, and the devil and expect to serve the Lord. You've got to establish that. Instead of trying to be everybody's pretty boy and everybody's fancy guy and uh, pleasing everybody, just speak the truth in love. And people will respect you for your honesty, decency, and integrity, but you'll be hated by the world and the world system. They even say there's a way to do things, and it's not humbling yourself and praying and seeking God. They're against God and everything about God. So the very first thing God says after you pass the Garden of Eden and the sin of Adam and Eve and, and the animal being slain, which I think was a lamb... And the skin of that animal, clothing our first mother and father. When you get beyond that and you get God's people dealing with the Egyptians, the Egyptians have already decided that the shepherds are an abomination. An abomination. I want to make this point so that we notice that every shepherd was an abomination to the Egyptians. To the world, the shepherd is a reproach, but it's more than a reproach. The Bible says they're abominations. In other words, the things that are abominable to us, and we can begin to name them, and we hope that the category of the things that we say are abominable are the things that God says are abominable. But the things that are abomination to us, the world looks back at us, and to them, we're an abomination. Now, they may be nice for some particular thing, but they have the feeling that the shepherd is an abomination. So it means we're going to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ in this world. That means they're going to think the same thing of us they thought of Him. And may God help us. You know, it's so interesting that when I'm introduced to people and they want to know what I do, I'm so tempted to say, well, you know, I, I, I'm the president of Crown College. Or something like that. I actually find the struggle inside me to be frank, to say I'm a pastor of an independent Baptist church because I've already thought in my mind that they have a mental image and some of them are bad of what pastors and preachers are. You understand what I'm saying? So the world's never going to change its mind about the pastor. The world's never going to change its mind about the preacher. That doesn't mean that we run around with some, some persecution complex. But we just understand we represent another world. We have another king. Our king is King Jesus. We want to be the best citizens and the most law-abiding citizens we can possibly be. Except when the law crosses the word of God and we have to take that stand for the Lord. But... We're telling people not everybody's going to heaven. There's only one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
we speak the truth in love. We represent God in this world. And so the shepherd is an abomination to the world. Day two, the shepherd receives his strength from the Lord. The shepherd receives his strength from the Lord. Genesis chapter 49, verse 24, the verse says, But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And then there's a parenthetical statement. For thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So constantly we understand that we find our strength in the Lord. And you know, the world says there's a certain kind of strength. We understand something the world doesn't know. As a child of God and, and as the shepherd of the sheep, we understand that there's a strength that makes us weak. When we're strong in ourselves, when we're trying to, when we're trying to use every method available that the world uses and patterning our lives after the world to conquer men by the power that others use to conquer men, there's a strength that makes us weak. But there's a weakness that makes us strong. Right? And it's the strength that we find in Christ. In our weakness, His strength is perfected. May we be perfect in weakness. Perfect in weakness. So, the shepherd finds his strength in the Lord. Constantly keeping that relationship and fellowship with the Lord. And we need to be strong. If there's ever a time in your life when you need to be biblically based and strong in the Lord and have biblical answers, this is the time. This is the time. I don't believe we're going to save America by electing Donald Trump, but I believe if we elect Donald Trump, God extends another window of opportunity for us. Donald Trump is not the Savior. I'm voting for him, and I'm encouraging everybody else to vote for him. Now, you have to vote your own conscience. But I'm not trying to tell you that he's the Savior, but I'm trying to tell you that he's provided the opportunity for us as Americans to exercise our freedom. And by the way, get the message out of the barn. Get the seed out of the barn and get it out in the world. The only way to keep freedom of speech, and that's the first amendment to the Constitution of the United States, is to speak freely. The only way to keep freedom, to have peaceable assembly, is to assemble. Tell your people, we're going to assemble. That's our freedom. I don't know what you think about John MacArthur. I appreciate him teaching the Word of God for all these years. He's now 81 years old. But he confronted the state of California and said, we're having a peaceable assembly. And they happened to assemble inside their church. And I think more than 2,000 people came, and he won a victory. If you want to exercise your freedom then for assembly peaceably, then assemble. And then freedom of the press. Give out the gospel literature. This ought to be a time when we have, if we have to borrow money from people, get the literature printed and get it in the hands of people. Get the truth propagated every way you possibly can. You may not believe in borrowing anything. I'm just using that to emphasize. I'm saying get the word out. But your strength is coming from the Lord. Day number three. The shepherd leads his sheep. He leads his sheep. And so, 
I want you to see Numbers chapter 27, verse 17, which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in. Going before them, go in before them, go out before them, lead them out, bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. That's Numbers 27, verse 17. So it's our responsibility to lead the sheep. And I repeat this, I'm not losing my mind. I know I said it when we started, that you can be a leader without being a shepherd, but you cannot be a shepherd. Don't call yourself a shepherd unless you're leading the sheep. Leading. And the shepherd has a different way to lead than the world leader who is not a shepherd. You're a shepherd. What greater thing can God give a man to do than to lead his people? What greater thing? If you have people you love and someone's leading them, you're praying for that person. I must go on if I want to give you just a few of these things. So remind your people again and again that there's a certain type of leadership and you're giving that. You know, people will criticize because remember this, there are Korahs in your congregation. The spirit of Korah is in all of us. We're all rebels by nature. And so the spirit of Korah and these other things are in us and they can pop out. Day number four, the shepherd fights for and protects the sheep. He fights for and protects the sheep. Now I'm using an illustration of this from the life of David. You remember when David was sent by his father to the Valley of Elah to see how his brothers were doing. And we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 through 37. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. And David is called upon to give a testimony before the king of Israel. Now, this is a, this is a pretty frightening thing. And you can only testify about what you know. So, when the inquiry is made from David, the Bible says, David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. He finally gets to the point, I had to kill him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, this is his amen. He says, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go. And the hypocrite said, and the Lord will be with you. I'll just put that hypocrite part in myself. Because, you know, he wouldn't go fight him. And he says, the Lord be with you. 
I don't think Saul was really trusting in the Lord. But David testified that you have to fight for your sheep. Right now, you're called on to fight for your sheep. How are you going to fight for them? How are you going to prepare them to fight? You know, how are you going to do that? This is a shepherd's summit. This is bringing shepherds together. Did you know there are hundreds of thousands of shepherds in America? 330 million people? Nearly 3,200 counties? Churches everywhere? The greatest need in a church is to find the right shepherd? We must fight for our sheep. We must fight for our sheep. What kind of pasture are you going to give them? What kind of protection are you going to provide for them? It's your business. The children who love you and pray for you need a shepherd who will fight for them. I, I'm trying to do this. I'm ha I have a man who's our, who, our, who is our uh, resident scientist. His name is Dr. Matthew Whiteside. He is one of, if not the, leading authority in nanoscience in the world. And God delivered him into our lap and brought him here to be a professor at Crown College. He's a great young man, loves the Lord, the soul winner. And uh, he was a professing atheist teaching in uh, the Free University of the Netherlands and uh, did research in nanoscience and found patterns for cancer. The University of Tennessee wanted to find him because of his published research. And he's constantly being published. And they wanted to find him. And when they found him, they searched the world over for him. When they found him, he was here in uh, America, in, in North Knoxville, in Powell, Tennessee, teaching at the Crown College. And they, they had him come over lecture to their students at the University of Tennessee here in Knoxville. I'm getting Matthew to answer some questions about creation, about science, about uh, vaccinations, about the use of uh, aborted babies in some, some types of injections given to people. I, I want people to know the truth. Why? I'm fighting for my sheep. I'm fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm fighting these monstrous people who want to get them. I'm in a battle. It's tiring. It wears on one. It's tiring to me. It wears on me. But I'm in a battle. The conflict is raging. You can't escape it. In other words... You think about the Walmart and Nike and all these people who have given all of this money to, to this group of anarchists who are going to training camps. There's a training institute called the Rockwood Institute that many of them have graduated from. Kamala Harris, who's running for vice president of the United States, is a graduate of the Rockwood Institute, which is a training place for Marxism. Do you know anything about Marxism? It's atheistic. It drives out Christianity. It hates America. It hates American capitalism. 
the bedfellows now are the haters of Christianity in the Islamic world and the liberal left-wing part of the Congress and these people. Look, we're in a battle. I didn't ask for this battle. I didn't ask for this fight. But they started erasing America. They are erasing America. What do you think tearing down all these statues is about? It's erasing America's history. You say, well, there's some bad people. Now you understand they're bad people. Is that what you think? It's America's history. And by the way, we, we, we had a war to end slavery. States thought they had the right to enslave people. They lost the war. I was born in Selma, Alabama. I had to study this kind of thing. And the fact of the matter is, the war has been won. And, and all these reparations and all of this that they want from our generation, this, this, this battle is on. And you know, if you think for one minute that there's not a brainwashing going on, what we have in American colleges, universities for the most part, and maybe the exceptions are on just a handful of schools, if you think they're educational institutions, they're not. They're propagandist institutions. A man, I maybe have told you this, but a man in a restaurant, managing a restaurant where my wife and I go to eat often said, I'm no longer sending my kids to the university. I've got two younger kids. They're not going because I sent my two precious kids there and they both got brainwashed to leftist things. You see, it's not just the hand-to-hand combat. It is the philosophical things that have been taught to a generation. The reason we have these people now who have sewn this into the fabric of America is it's because what they've been taught from grade school up and it's been crystallized and, and, and woven into the fabric of their being in higher education institutions. And the shepherd must fight for his sheep. Prepare yourself for battle. Prepare yourself for battle. Like David said, I fight for my sheep. And you need to fight for your sheep. Day number five, the shepherd keeps the sheep from being scattered. And that's what this COVID-19 has done. It's scattered our sheep. If you don't believe me, ask any pastor. It scatters our sheep. The Bible says in 1 Kings 22, 17. 1 Kings 22, 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, They have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. The sheep are scattered. The Lord Jesus wept over scattered sheep. When he came, he wept because the sheep are scattered. And they need a shepherd to bring them back in. There's nothing wrong with you telling people to gather into the flock of God. There's nothing wrong with you telling people. You may get a little parenthesis that you want to add. I say to people, if you want to wear a space suit, that's all right. You come and sit in a space suit in the auditorium somewhere. Keep yourself protected. If you have to wear a face mask and want to wear a face mask, we don't have to do that in the state of Tennessee or in Knox County. But if that's what you want to do, sit at an isolated place. But don't forget about gathering together as we're commanded not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. The sheep are scattered and they need their shepherd to help them. 
If we're not careful and prayerful and working on this, we're never going to get some of these sheep back. And you know what scattered sheep are pray for? They pray for the devil. And that's what's happening to them. Now, there are many things. There's 31 things I want to talk about. If you would take the time to send me an email, just send me an email and say, would you give us all 31 of them? And I'll, I'll be able to do at least almost all the rest of it the next time we meet. Please let me know that it's helpful. If not, we can go to another subject. You can wait and read the book. But I think we need to help shepherds today. Now I want to ask you a question before I take your questions. I wonder how many of you are saying, I know pastors. Maybe they can't be with us at 10 o'clock on, on Tuesday mornings like you are. But we post these. We post them on YouTube. Faith for the Family, YouTube. Mm -hmm. And you can find every one of them. Mm -hmm. And they should have a little descriptive title that we're dealing like today with the shepherd and his sheep, part one. And if we do in the second part, the shepherd and his sheep, part two. Tell people about it. Send an email to them and say, you need to get this. I, I have this overwhelming sense that the real, the real conflict has not hit us yet. But it's going to hit us. If you study, if you study things about war and siege warfare, and America's under siege, and we're sensing a little of the enemy. They're trying to starve us out, cutting off supplies, terrorizing our people frightening people. One of the tactics of the enemy was always to get people so frightened they would surrender instead of fight. And you know from you know your congregation, your congregation is frightened today. They need an emboldened shepherd who, who helps them. We'll talk about that later in some of these things we find in the Word. These are just things we find in the Word of God about the responsibilities of a shepherd. Now, someone has sent this, this list of questions. What advice do you have for young preachers that are just starting out during this unusual time? I, I will tell you what advice my pastor gave me. Dillard Hagen. Dillard Hagen. H-A-G-A-N. He's from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And uh, ministered around Glasgow, Kentucky. But he was in Maryville, Tennessee at the Forest Hill Baptist Church when I got acquainted with him. I went to his library one day and tried to ask him if I could borrow some of his sermon books. I even remember the ones I picked up. I'd heard Dr. C.E. Autry preach, and he preached the sermons of L.R. Scarborough. L.R. Scarborough. You can't find many, but there's two or three books of L.R. Scarborough's sermons. One is entitled, Prepare to Meet Thy God. A sermon on the word lost, L-O-S-T. So I saw that book in in uh, uh, Brother Hagin's study, and I picked that book and two or three other books, and I said, may I borrow these books? I was looking for sermons. And he said, oh yes, you can have any book in here you want. And that was back when Herschel Ford had, was very popular putting out little books that said Simple Sermons by Herschel Ford. Simple Sermons on, if you find any of those, Simple Sermons on the Second Coming of Christ, Simple Sermons on the Church. If you ever find any of them, get them. 
But anyway, I had my arm loaded with them and I was starting out the door. And then Brother Hagin said to me, Clarence, let me tell you something. If you'll learn to preach the Bible, study and preach the Bible, you'll never run out of anything to preach. Then I came under the influence of W.A. Criswell. He was my hero. And uh, Dr. Criswell was preaching through the Bible. And so I say to anybody starting out in the ministry, become the best student of the Bible you can become. I didn't, ha- I didn't have Bible in college. I graduated from the University of Tennessee. I didn't get Bible. I went to seminary. And many times in seminary, they don't give you Bible studies. They just talk about the Bible. I did study the book of Romans and Old and New Testament survey and that type of thing. But Bible study is something you have to do on your own. I remember getting the reel-to-reel reels tapes of uh, Harry Ironside. They're still out there somewhere. And I had me a little room in a spare bedroom and a great big tape player. And I had those reel-to-reel things on it. And I learned to load it myself. And I'd sit with my Bible and a notebook and I'd listen to Harry Ironside teach the Bible. Oh, my heart was so stirred. And then somebody said, I think you can be blessed by J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee was a Presbyterian. Harry Ironside was a Plymouth Brethren. Or brethren. And... Uh, they weren't Baptists, but I learned. And so I, I found J. Vernon McGee's through the Bible in five years, and I'd listen to them. And I'd get in that same little room and listen to them and learn the Bible. Then my friend Raymond Smith, Raymond Smith was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. He was the most knowledgeable preacher in our association of churches, that 82 churches I'm talking about. And he said, I want you to get acquainted with uh, certain authors. He's the man who introduced me to A.T. Pearson. But he said, there's a book I want you to have. I want you to order a copy of it by Graham Scroggy on the unfolding drama of redemption. I remember going to the Baptist bookstore and the lady who waited on me was named Faye. And I was just a young, wet behind the ears preacher. And I said, Faye, I've got to find a book. And she said, well, what is it, Clarence? I said, I've got to order the book, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption by Graham Scroggy, and I never will forget the shock on Faye's face. She said, Clarence, that's too deep for you. (laughs) That's exactly what she said. That's too deep for you. I said, but Raymond Smith told me I had to get it. And she said, well, if you you want to, it's very expensive. And I don't know what it was back then. It might have been, oh, $25, $30, maybe even $40. But I ordered my copy of it. I'll never forget it. It was a yellow hardback copy, and I, I studied that. I read every page of it and studied everything in it from beginning to end, from cover to cover. It's actually several volumes in one. And uh, I followed Graham Scroggie's ideas about the Bible. And then later I was introduced to Sidlow Baxter. And today we use Graham Scroggie in our graduate schools in the seminary and we use Sidlow Baxter in our undergraduate programs in the college. But I'm just saying... This is, this is the way. Start somewhere. Love God. Love His Word and get in it. How do you balance ministry and family? I don't know if the word balance is the right word, but that's the next question. I think we're complete in Christ. God established the family. I've never felt like my family was a conflict with my ministry. I really haven't. Um, I've included them in ministry. I have the most wonderful darling wife. 
when I mention this and think about the life she's given me, it's almost like I, I want to weep right now. But Evelyn is the one who's helped in all of that, not me, you know. But there is, uh, there is this situation where I heard, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I think Dr. Howes was a great man. I really did. But he gave the idea, some people thought, that you could win the world and let your family go to hell. I never swallowed that. But I don't think that's what Dr. Howells wanted to, to portray because I, I'm a fan of Dr. Howells and his soul winning emphasis. But I never felt like I could win the world and let my family go to hell. I wanted my family to go to heaven with me and love the Lord. I want them to believe that the greatest work in all the world was God's work and be happy about it. And so you have to work at that. I got some other questions. How can I encourage my people to live by faith? Live by faith yourself. Do you think... Uh, coronavirus will go away in November. Are you kidding me? It's never going away. Never going away. The coronavirus is going to be around just like the flu's around. How much or how little should pastors comment on politics and current events while preaching? Only as they come into your preaching. You don't have to stick them in. That's like the man who wants to preach on homosexuality or sex perversion all the time. I'm weary of a guy like that. But when he meets it in the Bible... Where God emphasizes it, you emphasize it. Where God repeats it, you repeat it. And give it the emphasis God gives it. That's, that's the whole thing. And uh, we live in a world where politics is always before us. I don't think it's politics. I think as a Christian, it's responsibility. You live in this world and just be as responsible a citizen as you can possibly be. I, I've got these questions. We're coming to the end. And... Uh, Passage Northwest. Have you been praying? The Passage Northwest. We've just finished two camps there, one with teenagers and one with children. We were at maximum capacity. We had about 100 each week. God blessed in a great way. We had 18 saved this past week and 18 saved this past week. And very soon, we're having our first meeting there where we're inviting pastors I'm especially trying to round up the pastors, round up the pastors from the Northwest, from Washington, Oregon, California, and Idaho to encourage them because these devils have unleashed themselves out there in that part of the world and we need to encourage shepherds there. But some of you may want to come. I'll send you the dates. You'll come. We'll have a wonderful time together. We're not on any hobby horse. We're just praying that we'll see Jesus coming and trusting in Him. The shepherd and his sheep. You're the shepherd. And God's given you the sheep. If you want me to talk more about it, please send me an email. I'm going to sit here until I hear from you. <laughs> Have a great day. Love your family. Love your people. Love the Lord. Let's love and encourage one another. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.